My name is David Domke. I'm a professor at the University of Washington. I'm chair of the Department of Communication. And uh, in a week here now, I'll have a chance to lead a group on a civil rights pilgrimage to the U.S. South. We're in Kane Hall right now at the University of Washington. And uh, we're about to do the fifth lecture of a five-lecture series on civil rights, civil rights movement, and what we can learn from it today. What do you want people to walk away with from this lecture? I want people to, to leave tonight with the sense that uh, they are part of this movement that this is not something they're studying or learning about, but that, that they have a role in all of this, a, a place, a position, a, that there is something they can do, and that they need to figure out what that is. I'm not here to tell them what it is, but that they need to figure it out and do something. What's the movement? The movement is for justice and opportunity in the 21st century. In the 20th century, it was about basic rights. Today, it's not about basic rights. It's about, it's about the ability to exercise those rights effectively. So... Our voting has been diminished in so many different states since 2008 when Barack Obama was elected. So the reality is that, you know, it's not about getting the right to vote. It's now being able to live that out without kind of uh, restrictions that, that seem to be on their face, not in any way racial, unlike in the 60s, but in reality play a significant role in impacting minorities and young people. This is not an ancient movement. This is not, a, this is not yesterday. This is today. Selma's now. Is it as profound and emotionally tumultuous, you think, today? I think it's on its way to being there, yeah. You know, we, we look at the movement, the civil rights movement, and we say, boy, things were really heated in the 60s. There were riots, and there was people getting killed left and right. Well, the movement had an arc to it, and the reality is that, that we're part of that. We're, we're in another arc right now, and we're not at the... We're not at the apex of that movement right now, apex of that arc. We're building. The arc is building right now, I believe. And, it's, you know, it's, it's Ferguson is part of it. New York is part of it. But so, too, is the voting rights around this country. So we're, it's building substantially. I believe that. And I think that we're going to see that rise up even more in the next two weeks with this push towards Selma. My name is Komopri Karsahota. There's a lot of emotions that I felt when I came back. I was feeling empowered. I was feeling... Um, more confident and stronger as a being. I was feeling, there was bits of confusion as to like, what do I do from this point? How do I move forward with the knowledge I have and the empowerment and the strength that I'm gaining and that I gained from it, which led me to go back on the pilgrimage. You know, I, I'd be honest, I've never loved the South. That's why I've never traveled there. And here I am, 60 years old, I'm gonna go to the South. How do you feel about the South? So I didn't have any preconceived notions of the South before I went because I had never gone. So I didn't want to judge the South before I went down. There's a lot of things that anger me about the South. The economic disparities was a really big thing. And it was racial economic disparities and that you could see it clearly. But I love the people. The people are so kind and sweethearted and it kind of felt like a bit of home. Why is the music so integral to this pilgrimage and to this movement? Thank you, Peter. Thank you. I mean, we get the answer when people come and thank you, sure. don't we? Uh, I think so, Steve. And I'm, and I'm Mark Pearson, and I'm gonna I'm committed to these pilgrimages until 2018. And uh, I, the more I learned about the original movement, it was fueled by prayer and by song. And song was really what lifted people's spirits. It's what inspired them. It's what 
it's what kept them going or got them going. And uh, for me, music, uh, it, it's, it's where I found my voice. It's how I found my way. To be a part of the beloved community, to have that voice, to sort of help give voice to, to everyone else, uh, it, it's a, it is a privilege, as they say. When you say, how I found my way, what's the way to which you are referring? Well, well, when I was 22, I found out that my dad was in a mental institution when I was born. And everything that I believed or found out or thought was, or thought was true up till that time was really put in doubt. I've spent much of my life in song and in spirit and really finding out what's really true in all that in life and and it, and it was having that opportunity to do it in story and song uh, that let that, that let me find my way in that very specific way but it's also I mean we're all you know we're all kids at 14 15 16 trying to find our voice and our way I just happened to find it on a football field and with a guitar in my hand a lot of the songs we sing have roots to the past when I sing them sing the songs I believe I'm singing along with Fannie Lou Hamer I believe I'm singing along with all those that marched to those songs. I, I'm singing along to myself when I um, marched against the war 45 years ago in the in Washington D.C. It's also about the future because it's the spirit of song and singing and stories is what that's that's what we offer those that come after us. My name is Monica Mendoza Castrejon. I was actually reflecting last night thinking about all the feelings that I will be expressing and going through. I am going through a whole whirlwind of emotions. It's There's excitement in there, there's a bit of nervousness, there's this ecstatic feeling that is like just over joy, this feeling of being extremely thankful because this is an incredible opportunity and not a lot of people get to and I feel very blessed um, and lucky to be able to go through this. So if there is one that I think I will come back, it is empowered. A week from today, where will we be standing and what will we be feeling? So right now it's uh, Monday night and uh, a week from today it'll be March 2nd and we will have just left or we will either be at or just leaving the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And we will be feeling the intensity and the pain and also the sense of, of courage that was demonstrated by people in Birmingham that led to those four young children getting killed. We'll be feeling all of that. Yeah, and that, that won't be the easiest feelings. How are you thinking of seeing it as you're taking pictures? that is both sensitive and brutally honest. Yeah, my name is Troy Bonas. I work for the Department of Communication at the University of Washington. Uh, this will be my third time going on this trip and my third time taking photos during the trip. Um, when we go to a place like the 16th Street Baptist Church, um, people get really emotional. You know, it, it's a place where you, you, you're learning about children who were murdered. And it's, um, it's, it's really heavy, it's, it's powerful, and it, it hits people really hard. Um, I, I don't shy away from taking photos of people having those emotions, because when the trip's done and, and you're looking at these photos to try and remember the experience, I think it's really important to 
remember the depth of those emotions, you know, and if you see a photo of yourself crying or if you see a photo of yourself hugging someone else from the community for comfort, it takes you back to that moment. You know, the camera can do two things. It can distance you or because it's such a powerful lens, it can draw you in. What does it do to you? Yeah, it definitely draws me in because it, it, it encourages me to try and understand how other people are feeling a certain time, right? If I see someone, again, this is the third time I'm doing it, so I might not be as emotionally impacted as the first time I went. But when I see a 20-year-old student at the church feeling the weight of this emotion, learning about these four girls who were murdered, um, and, I'm, and I'm taking photos of that, I'm, I'm reminded of how deeply I felt impacted my first time visiting and learning about that, right? This part of our history that we don't talk about and and seeing other people being exposed to this for the first time when really we should all have known about this before this trip, right? My name is Tim Jones. Uh, I teach at Bellevue College. Uh, I've been there three times now and each time it's been just as powerful in a slightly different way. It's often because of the experiences that other people are having around me. So the first time that I went with Domkey was late at night, two in the morning, uh, you know, four guys in a van by ourselves. And it was a little scary, to be honest. Um, We didn't know the history that well, and we were in the dark, and there was, you know, homeless people in the park that were drinking, and it just felt, like, really scary, and we were Googling things to learn about it as we're going along. The second time was, um, it was really, really cold, and there were uh, a couple of students of color in particular who were incredibly impacted by the emotion of the place, and I think that helped me feel it emotionally in a different way. Like, through their pain and tears, I was able to feel the hurt of it in a way that I maybe hadn't felt the first time. Like, I felt, oh, horrible event. This is a little bit scary. Um, And this is where all this crazy civil rights stuff happened. That's how little we knew about it at the time. And then the last time that we met, uh, we met someone who actually was friends with... uh, the four little girls who were killed and she talked with us and it was October but it felt like a warm summer day you know sunny beautiful she was really uplifting and positive and so she talked about the same experience from a different place it was tragic but it was like this is what I've done with my life since Um, and so I don't know what to expect you know this will be the fourth time I've gone and I'm sure that there's going to be another piece of it that's like the onion that's just uh, pulled apart so so David Domke said white people can take a lot of days off. And he said if you're African-American, you can't take any days off. No, not in American society. You never get to just, you never get to coast along. The reality is you never get to take that day off. And white people have a responsibility to not take any days off. And, and I think David is right. Since I, I think since I was a child and became aware of my own blackness in, in, in our country, um, I have not taken a day off since... Um, since I became fully conscious of the fact that, that I am different in, in this country than, than, um, than many of my brothers. And my name is Ed Taylor. It means that, that there's a constant reconciliation of, of, um, of what it means both to, to live in a, in a context of privilege. I mean, David and I are colleagues in a university that is really one of the elite universities in the country. And a day-to-day walk in this place is, is one of great gratitude and privilege. But it, but it also means being 
I'm utterly conscious of the fact that not everybody gets access to a lot of people who have been denied access to the to the place that we work day to day yeah. simply because of their, their race. Unless we're ready to argue that some people are smarter than others, which I fundamentally don't believe, there are a whole lot of people who don't get access to the fundamental good of a, of a public university. And that's something that we're trying to undo and, and, and be constantly present of the fact that, that undoing that means to be active and, and socially active and, and emotionally active. I have a little bit of trepidation about going to the South. Do you feel any of that? I think a trip to the South will, will not enable us to be complacent. It will push us to be to come to come face to face with with the real racial reality in our in our society in ways that that we we oftentimes can mask in in Seattle we can we can often mask in the northwest we can we can liberalize our way around it but i think we'll have to come face to face with the with the legacy of of poverty and and difference and the, and the standing legacy of jim crow um, in this country. I think we'll have to come face to face with it, so we ought to be a little uncomfortable. 